Welcome to another episode of Game of Life with Dan and Harmon. Today we're joined by oh, a legend in my eyes because I sort of grew up uh, watching his work. Um, he's probably best known for the Wharf Review, which lasted about 20 years, I believe. And his frequent collaboration with Simon Gallagher and John English um, with SG Entertainment. And for a second there, when the Zoom window popped up, I thought we were talking to Bob Catter, but it's not. It's Drew Forsyth. Welcome to the show. <laughs> oh, good on. Come on, you. <laughs> it's Bob Catter, dear Bob Catter. He, I went to school uh, opposite Bob Catter and Charters Towers <clears throat> back in um, 1964. I think we were both in Charters Towers at the same time. He, he was He's a couple of years older than me. But, yeah, he was... Uh, he was quite notorious then. Man, uh, your, your impression of Bob Catter is just spot on, but it sort of makes sense since you're sort of in the same circles. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, he was in another school, but um, I, I was at the Anglican school. He was at the Catholic school. And uh, <clears throat> he was um, he was famous, as somebody pointed out to me the other day, some, somebody who I was at school with, for being on the wing. And when any of the big tough guys came towards him, he'd run over the sideline so he wouldn't get tackled. <laughs> I don't know what Bob would say about that. He'd probably dispute that. <laughs> um, this is um, quite a mind-blowing experience to have um, you on the podcast today because this is a sort of full circle moment for me because you're partly the reason why um, I just adore uh, comedy as an art form. Um, you were, I saw you in my very first um, live production in HMS Pinafore with John English. And ever since then, my uh, love affair for comedy just really shot off, uh, shot off and it has been part of my identity ever since. Oh, fantastic. Well, that's that's lovely to hear that. I, I really enjoyed that, that production. Um, there's... Um, a scene on YouTube of the opening uh, dialogue scene for Sir Joseph Porter. Yes. Uh, and I, I basically rewrote that because uh, John was playing Dick Deadeye, which is a rather small character in the actual original one. And they were, John was what drove the um, mm. uh, SG productions. Uh, people were coming to see John English doing them, really. That was, and, and Simon, too, yeah. when Simon was in them. Um I don't think their audience would have had any idea who I was. But anyway, um, so I rewrote that scene so John would have more to do in it, but also so I would have plenty to do in it too and John didn't dominate me. And uh, and I I chose to play Sir Joseph Porter as a kind of um, Mr Burns yeah. character, a creepy, uh, a creepy old guy um, who uh, saw all these lovely uh, young seamen around and even though he was uh, courting the uh, the captain's daughter, um, <clears throat> yeah. So, uh, and I love doing that scene, and I I I love doing it with with John and 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 with Simon and with uh, David Gould, who was playing the captain. And I, uh, invariably, when I uh, front up to Simon in that scene uh, and kind of drool over him. <laughs> Simon would just break up laughing, <laughs> which the audience would really enjoy too. There was a lot of that. There was a lot of messing around in those productions. We 
we were very loose with them and John was always very loose and you know that they were lots of fun lots and lots of fun in in those um productions um was there much room for improv because I mean as you, as you just said there you rewrote a, a scene so um were they flexible on that um they they were flexible with me rewriting the scene they but they became very much a, a a structured part of the scene. Mm -hmm. And and I was very keen for the structure to remain solid in those scenes that that um explained our characters really. Mm -hmm. Around that we there was a little bit of um panky panky and you know mucking around. Mm -hmm. Um when we did the Mikado, I remember at one point I had an idea that kind of dawned on dawned on me from kind of left field while standing in the wings and David Gould was playing the emperor, which was this magnificent character that he played. I uh, I grabbed a, a fire extinguisher from the wings and when he got to the end of his scene, <laughs> I came on and, and squirted the fire extinguisher all over him. Um, it it was just a, a foam which just disappeared. Mm. And I don't know, it was like a gas that disappeared. And it, it worked so well that we actually got a fire extinguisher that we used every time from then on. Except when we went to Adelaide and there was a new fire extinguisher in the wings and it was foam, unfortunately, and it absolutely covered the <laughs> stage and it was stayed covered for the rest of the play. And I had to go out and sweep it up at the end. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, there was that kind of mucking around, but um, that, that was a bit extreme. How, I wouldn't do how, it enough. How did that involvement um begin for for you with um with Simon and uh John and or SG um well Simon was um starting uh wanting to do a new production of Pirates he 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 and John were in the original production of Pirates of Penzance which was uh, a a spin off from the American uh Joseph Papp production yeah. uh that um and that was very successful and I think it was done with either Victorian opera or Australian opera, I'm not sure, but uh, it was a very successful production. And um, then Simon decided to do his own version of it and, uh, or own version of, of a uh, uh, Gilbert and Sullivan operetta. And he chose the Mikado and uh, he used, oh, um, I can't remember the name of the director, I'm sorry. Uh, but the same director who was the director on on Pirates of Penzance, the original one, um, came out and did it. And he did a very successful production of that. And so that and they were looking for somebody to play Poco in it, the uh, Lord High Executioner. And he approached me and uh, we we sat down, had a talk about it, and at that point I uh, I'd been doing a show with Jonathan Biggins and Philip Scott called Three Men and a Baby Grand. We were doing that in a, in a, a pub in Woolloomooloo, the Tilbury Hotel. And that had been fairly successful and we'd taken that to the Edinburgh Festival and played at the, the uh, uh, Hammerstead, ha um, uh, uh, Ham not the Hampstead, oh, I can't, uh, anyway, a theatre in London. And... <clears throat> But we were kind of between doing things when we, we were thinking about doing another one. And anyway, Simon came up with this idea and uh, seemed like a good idea at the time. And 
Mm. I did it and enjoyed it and then did uh, a production that went to New Zealand. It did, went all around the country. We did another production of Pirates of Penzance, which we just did in New Zealand. I played the major general in that. Then we did HMS Pinafore. Then we did Funny Thing Happened on the way to the forum and Jonathan Biggins joined me in that one. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, then I went back to uh, working with Philip and Jonathan. I I saw every one of those uh, productions except uh, the Mikado. Um, because it, HMS Pinafore is where it sort of really took off for me because I think we... Um, they revived pirates again, I think, in the two early two thousands. So yeah, I, that's right. I managed to get along to see that because I'd been sort of, um, you know, rewatching all those VHSs over and over and over again as as a kid. So I was very very familiar with with all your all your work as well, uh, and I just like the sort of uh, carry through of all the um, actors they would use again and again in those um, productions. It's sort of, um, I guess it's a, sort of a rare thing in in Australia these days to have sort of all these productions and then bringing back the same sort of uh, troupe of actors over and over again. Yes. Uh, yeah, it was, it was great to work with the same people and uh, you, you, you form a, a bond and a, uh, you kind of um, second guess each other, I guess, on, on a lot of things. Um, uh, yeah, but there were new people that came in and out uh, at, at different times. Um, but it's like the relationship that I have with uh, Jonathan and Philip mm. uh, as a, a creative relationship. We started back in 1987. Well, Philip and I actually worked together in a cabaret in, in 1984, which Ken and Lillian Haller, who were part of the original uh, uh creators of the Nimrod Theatre, which then became Belvoir Theatre. Um, and um, I'd been in the original production of the Nimrod Theatre in King's Cross, which is now the Stables mm. Theatre. And, um, uh, and, I, and I was also in the original production of what is now the Belvoir Theatre, which Nimrod started. And, and John, John English was also in that production. It was a, a, a musical of a, a Greek play called The Backboy. It wasn't hugely successful, but nonetheless, it, it opened. Barry Humphreys actually uh, gave the opening address uh, to that uh, opening production, which I remember was very funny. He actually um, pulled out a copy of what a magazine called TV Times, I think at the time, or um, and read out what was on television that night and what people were missing by coming to see see this stupid play which was which was very funny Gough Whitlam was in the audience um quite a memorable night uh uh what was I saying oh yeah uh, the the relationship that that you create with people uh so Philip and I started working in that cabaret in 1984 then in 1987 Ted Robinson, who had been the producer on the Gillies Report for the ABC, in which Max Gillies was the star. <clears throat> uh, Philip had been a writer on that show, along with Patrick Cook. Mm. And Ted Robinson asked Jonathan and I to join the, the basic team without Max, <clears throat> without Max Gillies, uh, and to do a, a new production called The Dingo Principle, which was like the Gillies report, very heavily focused on political satire. Hmm. 
And so we, Jonathan and I were, were more involved as, as performers rather than writers, although we wrote a few things to, uh, to add into it. Uh, after that, we then did a, uh, another production, production called uh, The Party Machine, mm -hmm. which Andrew Denton fronted. Yep. Yes. And Philip and Jonathan and myself and, and Patrick Cook were were part of the team. And uh, that was during the time when Bob Hawke was Prime Minister. And we, we were doing that during the lead up to the next election, which was in 19, I think, uh, 80. Um, and Bob Hawke uh, stymied us by calling an early election. So the show only ran for three series, <laughs> uh, three uh, episodes, uh, not the full six that we were going to do. And so we had a bit of time on our hands. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan and I went off to do a return production of The Venetian Twins, which I'd first done in 1979, uh, which was a, a, a musical version of a, an Italian play. And I, I played both twins, the dumb one and the... Mm. the uh, smart arsehole <laughs> and um and while we were doing that we said you know why don't we get philip together and do this do a show and and so we approached philip and he was keen to do it and so we did three men in the baby ground at, at the tilbury and and that kicked on mm. uh then became a television series which was terrible <laughs> and, uh, we didn't quite nail that in my opinion anyway um, but we kept working together and we, we, during the time when I was doing the, the Gilbert and Sullivan's, uh, Jonathan and Philip did a show called Abroad with Two Men with Linda Nagel. And, uh, when I finished with SG, uh, Robin Nevin, who was just, had just been appointed artistic director for the Sydney Theatre Company in 2020 to start in 2020 in uh, 2000 sorry um approached us to say would you like to do a late night uh political or late night review yeah. it wasn't political it was just late night review and yeah we we decided we'd do it it was called wharf review because it was at the wharf theater and the first production was called the end of the wharf as we know it and uh and that that was that went on stage after the play that was playing on that on the Wharf One Theatre, which I was actually in. It was a play about AFL uh, by Tony McNamara, mm. who's the writer of uh, oh, the the um, the Great, which is on television at the moment about Catherine the Great of Russia. Um, <clears throat> uh, so we. Uh, the, 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 the Wharf Review went on at around about 11 o'clock, mm. which wasn't a really good time. We got, a, we got a few people to come along and they quite enjoyed it, but it was obvious that it wasn't going wasn't gonna to last in, at, in that venue at that time. So she, Robin decided that we should put us into a venue of our own Wharf 2, which is a smaller venue, and put it on at 8 o'clock. And and that worked, and uh, twenty three years later, <laughs> and 
I know yeah. it's so crazy it's, it's, that it's lasted that long. <laughs> yeah, but I think that's partly to do with the the fact that we we had the three of us. Uh, Linda dropped out after a couple of years, and the three of us just kept doing it, kept writing it, and performing in it. And I think it was uh, largely to do that we had the same sense of humour. We agreed pretty much on on politics, and. Uh, and we enjoyed each other's company. Mm. So, uh, and we've, I mean, we argue over things and disagree over things and we fight for things that, that we might like or that somebody else in the group doesn't like, but we generally come to, well, we always come to some kind of uh, agreement. Mm. Uh, and each one of us has a kind of um, special interest, I suppose. Because my background is mainly with theatre and and quite often with classical theatre, mm. I've often brought things that when I bring it to the table, they go, what? <laughs> I mean, last year I, I brought a piece because we were, last year's show was called Looking for Albanese. Mm. He actually found us. He came to see it <laughs> <laughs> and came back afterwards and quite enjoyed it. Um, uh, each one of us, including um, uh, Mandy Bishop, who's the fourth member of our group or has been for, for the last few years, uh, we've had quite a lot of uh, women in the in the women's woman's role uh, over the years, including Jackie Weaver at, at one point. Uh, uh, we decided each one of us would play elbow. Mm. Uh, I f f and that kind of came about. I first wanted Mandy to play him. I wanted to see a woman playing a man in, in a, such an important role. So we agreed on that. And she was playing um, um, Alice in Alice in Wonderland, where she goes down the rabbit hole and turns up as elbow in a dress and, and has to meet Bob Catter. And the Wonderland, of course, is um, a Queensland. <laughs> you know, this gone down this rabbit hole and ended up in Queensland, meets Bob Catter. Uh, Clive Palmer and Craig Kelly as uh, Bob Catter is the mad catter, of course. Um, Craig Kelly and Clive Palmer as um, uh, dumber, dumb and dumber, um, and um, uh, and Pauline Hanson as the Red Queen. <laughs> so uh, anyway, I I said, well, why don't I do? elbow in an aged care home so where he's it's like 25 years down the track he'd been in office for six terms <laughs> longer than menzies even but it based it on a uh, uh, a morality play from the 1400s and they went what <laughs> who's going to know about this play it was a play called Everyman, which i um my history of uh, theatre teacher John Clark, when he was just the history of theatre teacher before he became director of NIDA, uh, brought to us. And, and we did a, a little production of it, and it always stuck in my mind. So anyway, we did it. And it was hugely successful. Where death comes on to meet every man and make him account for, for, for his time on earth. Uh, Albo actually outsmarts uh, <laughs> the Grim Reaper, and they go off to find uh, Rupert Murdoch instead. <laughs> Um, so things like that work. And I, I actually drawn on that kind of classical training to do things like when Julia Gillard had become prime minister, I did Under Milkwood because she 
she was born in a little Welsh town called Barry. Mm. And uh, Under Milkwood is uh, set in this little Welsh vil village where all these different people are talking. Uh, done several things. We did, did um, uh, Dr. Faustus where, um, uh, oh, I can't think of his name now, uh, Philip Ruddock, yes. who had been a, a very left-wing kind of member of the Liberal Party. He had his uh, Amnesty International badge on his collar, became Minister for Immigration and started blocking people for coming in and, and sending people to detention centres. So he'd, he'd kind of done a deal with John Howard. We had John Howard on as the devil. And, uh, yeah, so it's Dr. Faust, things, things like that, that are kind of obscure, but yeah. if you use them as a parody, they explain the situation that is is current, yeah, um, and and that's a big part of what we do is trying to find a, a piece that will uh, expose a, a situation. Um, not last year, but the year before, or was it last year? I get confused with what we've done and what we haven't. No, it was the year before. There was the because of the housing crisis, which unfortunately has become really relevant now. The piece that we did was um, Wizard of Oz, where um, um, I can't think what's the character's name, <laughs> the girl. Um, um, oh, Dorothy. Dorothy, of course. Yeah, Dorothy, yeah. Yeah, she goes off um, to try and find a. a, a she leaves um, uh, Dubbo to go to go to the, the Emerald City to find try and find a house for herself, and she meets a, a real estate agent, a, a politician, and a banker. And of course, the wizard is Philip Lowe, the governor of the Reserve Bank, who comes on. He's complete bloody fraud. Unfortunately, it was it predicted the situation that we're in now, so we yeah. can't do it again. <laughs> And last year, uh, sorry, I keep cutting you no, off. No, no, go, go, go. Love this. Uh, last year, I had an idea, and it was a very serious idea, to do something about the Royal Commission into Returned Soldiers from Afghanistan. And I wrote a song which was based on uh, uh, Ghost Riders in the Sky. Mm -hmm. And it, uh, it, was very, it was a very serious piece. Uh, so it was about the ghost soldiers, soldiers who have returned and have become a ghost of the person they were before they went away, and uh, some who came back as heroes and some who came back as uh, 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 just a, a shadow of the man that or person they were before. And it, it had a real impact on the audience, and I, I got letters i got a letter from a, a woman in canberra who thanked me for the for doing it her husband had committed suicide from the ptsd he was suffering from couldn't stand any longer and uh, a, a veteran who wanted to use the song as for the afghan return soldiers um, so uh political satire can also be Deadly serious, mm. as well as 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 funny as Jonathan Swift did with things like Gulliver's Gulliver's mm. Travels and back in the seventeen hundreds. Uh, yeah, does it put you off when uh, politicians 
come and see the show? Uh, we try not to know <laughs> if they're out there. Um, is it is it odd when 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 they say they enjoy it? So is it like, um, oh well, you guys are missing the point a little bit if you think this is you know <laughs> not recognizing what's wrong? <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, look, a lot of them came. Mm. Um, it was interesting. Um, uh, Allegra Spender came on opening night, and we'd actually had because we we have a, a very small uh, crew mm. that work on this. Our, our original um, costume designer is also the current costume design um, costume head of costume department at the STC, um, and he'd come up with a costume for the piece that we were doing for Allegra Spender, which was based on the song "Hey Big Spender," of course, and um, he he brought in a, a costume which just wasn't right, and I said, "No, no, I don't. It's not right. We we got to find something better." A few couple of us disagreed. Anyway, I, we stuck by our guns and got a got a really good costume that looked exactly like Allegra Spender. On opening night, when Mandy came on as Allegra, the real Allegra was sitting in the audience in exactly the same costume, in exactly the same clothes that she was wearing, <laughs> and she turned up at the party afterwards. It was it was just fantastic. <laughs> um, Sometimes we get too close, I think. <laughs> but um, uh, Tanya Plebisek was there. Uh, Tony Burke was there. We know that um, uh, Chris, um, Chris, um, oh, what's his last name? Uh, Chris Bowen yes. uh, came uh, during, this, during the season. Uh, Jackie Lambie came. And Mandy does a fantastic Jackie Lambie. Uh, Paul Keating's been in the past, and Jonathan does a fantastic Paul Keating. Um, I don't know. Uh, I mean, Albo said he loved it. Um, he was there with Jody, his his partner, and when I came on as uh, old Albo, I had a um, South Sydney Rabbitohs beanie on, and Albo said, Jody said to me, oh, look, oh, there's somebody in a Rabbitohs hat. And he said, I turned around and I said, that's me. <laughs> So I think they they get a bit of a kick out of it. Mm. Um, also, when he turned up on the night, the audience noticed him. And as more and more people turned around and started looking at him, they all rose to their feet and started applauding him. Uh, this was early on in his uh, tenure. <laughs> I don't know whether they still do it. I don't think he's done too bad a job. I think he's done a fairly good job. He certainly couldn't do worse than Skomo. Yeah, uh, I think I think they enjoy it. I think, uh, and and I think sometimes we use them as a mouthpiece mm. for things that we want to say as well. Particularly somebody like Paul Keating, who has a, a great knack to be to use, as he says, vaudeville, turn on switch on the vaudeville, mm. um, and and say some appalling things about people which gives us license to say appalling things, which uh, under normal circumstances we'd probably be attacked for. But mm -hmm. do it in the guise of somebody who actually does do it, as Jackie Lambie does, you know? She'd say things like, shove it up your bum, which she said just recently. <laughs> Grow up, get some adults in the room and, you know, all the... And for Pauline Hanson, what I do for her is I, I try to... Um, 
use her un, unintended self-deprecation mm. so, where she makes fun of herself without knowing that she's making fun of herself. And, and the funny thing is some people have said afterwards, I actually feel sorry for her when I see you. <laughs> <laughs> she's so fucking stupid. <laughs> well, the, is she, do you know if she's aware of your um, impersonation of her? I, I'm not, no, I'm not aware. I'm not aware. I, I don't know how aware she is of anything really, but <laughs> um, yeah, no, I don't know. I, I'm pretty sure she wouldn't come and see it. Yeah. <laughs> but somebody like Jackie Lambie enjoys it and comes. <clears throat> when you sit down and um, start writing uh, one of these shows, how do you uh, decide between all of you who's going to play um, each politician? Like, how, how did. How did how was it decided that you'd be the best uh, Pauline Hanson? I I don't know actually. Um, I I just had a feeling that I could do her. I don't know why. Mm. Um, and I I wrote a piece. This I think it was back in nineteen ninety six when she first entered Parliament. I wrote a piece back then, or no, it must have been later than that. Uh, anyway, um, I I just had a feeling that I could. I could do it. And the same, I had a feeling that I could do Queen Elizabeth the mm. second. <laughs> uh, the, the first, her makeup's too elaborate. Um, and uh, and I've done, I did uh, the Queen a couple of times. <clears throat> and um, the first time I did her, I wanted to do her as a contrast to Donald Trump. Donald Trump, the, the piece that we were doing, he was going around and meeting people who'd become leader for life because he wanted to become leader for life. Yeah. So he met, uh, um, well, originally we were going to do um, Xi Jinping and, uh, and uh, Kim Jong-un, but we were, at this point we were working with the Sydney Theatre Company and we were told in the third week of rehearsals that we, we weren't allowed to do that mm. unless we had a, an Asian actor in the role, we weren't allowed to do it. So we cancelled them. They got cancelled. Xi Jinping got cancelled. <laughs> Kim Jong-un got cancelled. And we did um, Putin, which we were going to do anyway, because he'd made himself leader for life, and uh, Bashar al-Assad, because uh, we, we, we were still white guys. We were uh, basically allowed to do them. And, and the Queen. So, uh, but when we... When he met the Queen, I, I wanted to do the Queen to actually show him that to be a real leader for life and a lasting leader for life, you had to have integrity mm. and decency and a sense of history, mm. none of which, of course, he has. <laughs> and uh, so it was uh, oh, him being the joker and her being the uh, the front person, uh, uh, the straight straight man, so to speak. It worked really well and was a way of exposing him and in a way of honouring her, I suppose. Mm. Yeah. But, but, yeah, why I why I chose to do her? Yeah. I don't know. I also did um, Gina Reinhardt. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've just written a piece for her and Clive Palmer as um, a kind of Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> uh, it's a Gina and Clive and we're doing the song, you know, Bonnie and Clyde song. Drew, uh, what? What has been your favorite part, favorite um, set that you've done, that you've written and that you've done? 
yeah, I, um, well, actually, it was in 2019 or 2018, mm. the Wharf Theatre was being about to be renovated. So we couldn't use any of the, our uh, places there. So uh, they decided to put the Wharf Review into the Ros Packer Theatre, which was an 800-seat theatre. The Wharf Theatre had been 350-seat. <clears throat> it was a much larger theatre with a big stage and a, a huge auditorium. And I suggested that perhaps what we should do is start with a pantomime was when Malcolm Turnbull was still, uh, oh, he wasn't prime minister or he'd been, uh, I can't remember. No, I think ScoMo would have been, been PM then, yeah? Yeah, yeah I, I think so, 2000, yeah, 19. 2018, yeah. yeah. Anyway, it was, yeah, I think he was prime minister, but anyway, uh, it was done with um, a, a pantomime uh, where he was Cinderella. And it was kind of talking about, and um, Dutton was Prince Charmless, and um, uh, uh, Christopher Pine was um, oh, my, oh the fairy godfather, <laughs> the fairy godmother, um, and, and um, Abbott and uh, oh, um, oh, I can't think of the other characters now. Were were the the Abbott was the wicked stepmother, and the the other two were the ugly sisters. Anyway, but it would start with a set which was like a traditional Victorian uh, proscenium arch with a, a very elaborate uh, front to it. Behind it was a uh, scaffolding set. So that sat on the front of it and it just looked like a, a little theatre within the theatre, which looked beautiful. It was all pink with gold embroidery and all of that all around it. It was it was. So when the audience came in, they saw it like the old comedy theatre in Melbourne or something, you know, something, well, Her Majesty's, something, a traditional Victorian theatre. Uh, and then we did the pantomime in that. And at the time, they were building a light rail, buff light rail, in Sydney. It was taking forever. And Gladys Berejiklian was the, the premier at the time. And... I, I thought it'd be a good idea for her to do a piece based on the song, I'll build a light rail to Kensington with a meter every day. <laughs> so, but to get into that, we came on and stripped the facade, the Victorian facade, which was it all on in canvas, we just stripped that off and ripped it off the stage and left the scaffolding. And that's basic. There was so much building work going on in the CBD at the time. There was scaffolding everywhere. So it just looked like <laughs> Sydney in the middle of a, a boom. And as it came down, it was the audience got such a shock. They just applauded. Yeah. So that was one that I was particularly proud of. I thought, that works so well. Mm. Mm. Um, we've gone into uh, much simpler sets since we've been producing it ourselves for the last two years. Uh, and so, and this is our third year we're producing it. It's just simpler, but we're, 
uh, just have a, 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 a timber floor. Um, and we try to use uh, videos mm. to create a backdrop. Uh, and that seems to work fairly well, but it's, it's much, it is much simpler. And this year, because Philip Scott is not going to join us, uh, he's going to retire. Um, we will have Andrew Warboys, who's uh, did that 2018 show for us and the 2019 show for us. Uh, Philip had retired then as well. <laughs> he keeps coming back. So <laughs> we're hoping he might come back again. Um, uh, we're not having a grand piano in the next one. We're going to have a much smaller piano. And, uh, and the next show, which we just decided the other day, is going to be called uh, Pride in Prejudice. <laughs> and we might start it with um, Andrew on a harpsichord. Yeah. <laughs> and us in uh, Empire Line dresses and bonnets and something like that. But it, that's in the um, planning stages at the moment. So there's a heads up. <laughs> nice. I, I, ha looking at um, Australian satire, um, just looking at other people's work as well, um, what, how, how much have you seen it sort of change and develop over the last sort of um, period? Has it got more daring, do you think? Has it, um, how's it changed since you've sort of been a part of, a part of what you do um, looking at other people's work? Um, well, I love Sean McAuliffe and, yeah. and, and I, I love what he does on television. Um, I think he's a very funny man and a very clever writer. And, and I love the characters that he does uh, uh, and that his, his team does. Mm. Um, uh, and I love the way they, they portray the characters, mm. uh, not as, which is not what we do. Mm. They're, they're, not, they're as characters that are spokesperson for yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Peter Dutton or, or, or Jackie Lambie or whatever. Uh, rather than actually do the actual character, but there's something about those characters that speak for them that is very like them, that that is quintessentially that character. So I, I think that's a very effective way. Mm. Um, I love the way John Clark uh, would do uh, characters as John Clark. Yeah, and yet it was so effective. He could say what he liked as those people, and uh, and got away with playing absolutely anybody just mm. as as almost like you know his initial fred dag character and a great loss losing john he was and such a lovely person and, mm. and same same with sean both wonderful people as as well so but how it's changed what we do is very different because we're we're on stage and we are very much what we do depends on a relationship that we build with an audience yeah um, um very much an instant reaction whereas um yeah 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 and and something like pauline hansen i love i ask for the lights to be brought up so i can actually see the members of the audience and talk directly to them in a way that the, the way barry humphreys used to do as as edna everidge or or celeste uh um barry i've digress for a moment, but Barry always used to come to see our shows and the last show in just last Christmas, just before last Christmas, he came to see the show. So it was lovely to see him mm. and to have 
as a memory, the words that he said to us afterwards, he absolutely loved the show and took each one of us aside and said something very personal in, a, in our ears. And um, we as... had a um, similar sort of story. Um, we had, so we had Francis Greenslade in last week in the oh. studio, who oh, yes. of course part of Mad as Hell. And he had sort of a very um, similar story about uh, John Clark that he sort of really took the time with each person individually and and, and everything so that's... a very generous man yeah and yeah. barry was very generous too yeah. barry said to me once well, he was very frail at the end he was very frail and we were walking and he was kind of holding on to my arm and he said we're a club aren't we we're a club <laughs> he would stare at you yeah <laughs> um, uh, and uh, yeah, that was lovely. But look, Barry took a lot of flack, and you know that's all been well covered. Uh, and there are a lot of it's changed because there are a lot of things you can't say now, mm. a lot of things you can't do now. Uh, and I'm not sure whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I think there's good things about it. We have to be more careful. We have to be more sensitive. Um, but we've got to be careful not to be oversensitive and sometimes challenge what has is becoming an orthodoxy mm. um in 2019 i i uh, apropos of the sydney theater company wanting to be more diverse mm. um, i wrote a song about diversity and lena cruz who's a uh an australian actress but she, she uh, came from the philippines uh, she sang the opening number in a kind of Marlena Dietrich uh, suit and a, a top hat and tails mm. a song called, which I wrote called Diversity, which was done to uh, the tune of Jealousy. So it goes, diversity, some say it is perversity. And I think it should. And that was the opening number for mm. the show. Uh, I don't know what the audience might have, but they had got a huge round of applause at the end. And it was certainly something different for us mm. to do. Uh, it, so, yeah, things have changed a lot. Uh, but I still like to harken back sometimes to uh, broad-based characters. Mm. And some can give you that opportunity. Donald Trump will give you that opportunity. And Julie, uh, Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> There's such a brace of ugly, um, crude, rude kind of characters. Mm -hmm. You can revel in it in a way that um, uh, the Alf Garnet character mm. uh, um, did in, in, I can't remember the name of the series now, um, which was, uh, you know, I, it was perfectly acceptable then. But there are people around who, who say the most appalling things, but they're so appalling, do you laugh or cry at them? You know mm -hmm. I, mean? I mean, Pauline Hansen says shocking things. You know, when, when the lockdown happened in, in Melbourne and the, the, the towers were locked down. Uh, was it in 
uh, Fitzroy or I'm not, I'm not, I can't recall what suburb it was. Yeah. But um, anyway, those big not, towers. Not, yeah. And there were a lot of people, uh, a lot of um, Sudanese and different people were there. And she, she full-bloodedly attacked them and was, I mean, so rude and terrible. But she, at, while doing it, she made, she made a fool of herself. She, she called them people from, um, uh, subterranean africa she meant sub-saharan africa but, yeah, yeah. but just just by stumbling on her words it just she made a fool of herself and told it and said how wrong she was and how out of touch she was she also sent them stubby holders with one nation on it i mean it's just yeah she's an appalling person <laughs> Yeah, so you pick on those things, and I did that uh, um, as as her. Yeah, it it's um you've touched on like um you know people we've lost you know Barry Humphreys, uh, John Clark, um, but John John English was one of those ones. Where I'm like, oh, I just like just watching back some of the footage that from the shows you guys did. He was just so energetic and full of life and you know cartwheeling on stage but yes. when, when when he passed it was just such a such a shock um it was a shock when you heard the news what was going through your mind when when we lost john uh look i i i, I would miss him and um uh and i felt sad for his family particularly um uh he 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 burnt the candle at both ends. Mm. I think uh, John probably wouldn't have had it any other way. He you know, he 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 lived hard and uh, and he had a lot of fun. Mm. Um, we used to watch State of Origin together. And, uh, we'd have a lot of fun. That, but he'd drink a lot more than I would. He'd <laughs> smoke a lot more than I would. I didn't smoke at all. Um, so he, he he was he was rough on his body and mm. uh, and I think it caught up with him in the end and I don't I think a lot of us perhaps saw it coming but not that soon mm. so, yeah it was sad to see him sad to see him go and he he, he was he, it was lots of fun he he was also a very private person John mm. he um uh, we we'd share certain things like the football um. And and we'd we'd enjoy doing the shows together, but apart from that, he you know he he would he would uh, he, he was very private, I think. He, and he was great with his kids, but um, he they had to kind of sweep along in the the slipstream that John created from his massive massive energy and massive drive, but. Uh, yeah, a great character. Uh, certainly uh, larger than life. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's it's funny because like I, I'm 32, but um, I mostly was aware of John through his you know comedy with those shows. I didn't realize he was you know a a rock star before oh, he yeah. <laughs> took that on. So yeah, all from his comedy work. <laughs> And then he's, you know, rock and roll days. Yes, and he was, uh, he he um, 
he'd written um, a, a rock musical because because he started in Oscar's yeah, name. Uh, not in here in uh, Jesus Christ Superstar. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he was, you know, he he was just a kid that somebody found and passed him in the role, and he was absolutely perfect in that role as Judas with these dark eyes and uh, and and that amazing voice that he had he was he was absolutely perfect for that but he um uh oh he the musical he wrote on based on um Troy uh based on the the Greek um oh I can't remember the name of it but it, the Helen of Troy story and um I can't remember. It had some great music in it, and um, it was a fantastic idea. And it got very close several times to being produced. Uh, he, they they did a recording of it, I think, with the um, London Symphony Orchestra, and um, and it's a pity that never got produced because it really was very good. And he, and he'd written another show called Buskers. Yeah, Buskers and Angels. That's Buskers right. and Angels. That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think Troy was the name of the the mm. musical that he wrote. Anyway, yeah. So, so he was he, and he and I actually he, he asked me to write a, a film with him based on the roadies that he'd worked with, mm. and we uh, we sat around several times and wrote down ideas and where where it could go, but um, again. He was all he was already going off on another track to do something else. And he he worked on television too. The, he wrote the, the the what was something the something rib, ribbons that he the song that he wrote was theme song for a television show again, which I can't remember mm. which it was. Um uh yeah, so he, he he was a good writer, he he was a terrific musician and uh and um Amazing, larger than life character. Yeah, absolutely. But, yeah. Yeah. but you know, there's. Uh, I doubt that we'll forget Jonathan John um, too soon. But there are a number of people that were mentors to me in the theatre. Uh, Ron Hadrick being a particular one, uh, an actor who'd worked with the Royal Shakespeare Company in England in the in the fifties, came back. To Australia in the in the sixties, and uh, I worked with him at the old Tote in the uh, well, nineteen sixty nine was the first time, mm. and um, and we were part of a company that was part of the opening of the Opera House, and uh, I did lots of things with him over the over the years. We we took a, a the club that David Williamson played uh, to London and played at. Um, uh, the Hampstead Theatre and and then at to the um, uh, uh, the old Vic, um, and earlier we'd done a, a play in the, uh, at at a, at a theatre in the West End together, and he was a great mentor. He was a a, a wonderful actor, mm. and uh, both in tragedies and as a, he was a, his comic portrayal of jock in the club was just fantastic a great piece of comic acting and he was a wonderful man he was uh you know like like we say about john clark uh he was generous kind and uh, and uh, a great example 
not just to myself, but to many, many people. People today, young actors today, would never have heard of him. Mm. Uh, and um, and you make such important people who really, uh, I guess, are also on the back of on the shoulders of the people that came before them, have built up this industry that we have. And there should be a way of recognising them and remembering them and honouring them. Mm. Uh, uh, John Bell is also has, for me, been a, a great mentor. We've worked an awful lot together. Ruth Cracknell was another one. Mm. Uh, I think people probably remember Ruth. Mm. Uh, of course, yeah. Probably from son, yeah. mother and son, but yeah. it's the television work that probably made yeah. people remember. And also there was a, a, a theatre here in Sydney called the Phillips Street Theatre that did the Phillips Street Reviews, which Barry Humphreys was part of, Reg Livermore was part of, uh, Gordon Chater, uh, Ruth Cracknell was part of it. Uh, I think Jackie, Jackie Weaver might have even done something there. Um, and that was a form of review. It was less political than we are, but it it was a it was certainly um, a, a strong form there that um, only older audiences would remember. Mm. But uh, we probably are a, us as review artists are a debt to what they did before us. Uh, yeah, history I think is important. Yeah. This this podcast is called um, Game of Life, so I'm wondering what sort of words of wisdom would you impart? What sort of life um, philosophy would you impart on someone coming up today, sort of um, who may be slogging it, sl slogging through the hard yarns at the moment, trying to um, you know get to a some sort of success. Yeah, that's a hard one. <laughs> um, I always say to young actors, you know, watch people have somebody that you admire, watch their work and mimic them mm. for a while until it becomes your own. It's yeah. like painters would, you know, paint like Rembrandt, uh, paint like Caravaggio until they found their own style and then it became their their own way of, doing things. That's in terms of work. But I think also get your life in order. Um, mm. Family's very important. And when you come, as I'm coming, to uh, times when I won't be able to perform anymore, mm. what I'll have is uh, uh, the family that uh, have supported me mm. throughout my career. Family is very important and friends and uh, other relatives, I suppose, and the industry that has supported you. Uh, remember that. I mean, my, my son is um, part of the industry now. He's a writer and a, a director. And uh, when I stop working, I'll, uh, I'll be happy to, to watch him and, mm. uh, and his work. Um, but, yeah, keep uh, realise that there's a lot more to life as well. Mm. it's just work yeah. uh, but but work does give you your work does give you an identity and uh, uh, yeah it's um but but don't let it 
overtake your identity. There's a um, that's that's perfect. That's yeah. I, I like that a lot. Um, we'll we'll wrap up in a in just a second. Um, but I just want to say again, like, thank you so much for for doing this today. Um, is this your first podcast, by the way? It is. Yeah. Yeah. So I lo I love this because I mean, as as I mentioned earlier, we had um Francis Greenslade in last week, and I told him like I just. Like you've always been there with Sean McAuliffe and but I've never like seen or heard any sort of long form interview with just you, you know. So I want to bring you in, get to know you a bit more. And again, with you, like someone who's meant a lot to me growing up as well, um, you know, seeing those SG shows and the war for you. Um, I've never seen any sort of long formed um interviews or podcasts or anything with you either. So it's been great to sort of get to know you a bit more it's it's been great fun so thank you uh, so look, I, i've enjoyed it immensely my you know i haven't shut up <laughs> no it's good <laughs> it's been good this is great i love this um, the actors love talking about themselves <laughs> I don't, yeah <laughs> my <laughs> wife says it all the time it's, it's so much easier for us <laughs> um so, well, so i might just add that my wife said what are other business do people start applauding you when you finish done doing yeah. what you're doing? Does an accountant, do you go to your accountant and say, thank you very much, <laughs> the butcher, thank you very much. Um, so so looking ahead for you, um, what, what's next? I mean, you mentioned you uh, wrote a new show, you've written a new show. Um, well, what, what do you see in the next sort of few years time for you? Well, we're writing the next show, and I think we'll do another one at least after that. Mm. So next year we'll do another one. I had written a play, I have written a play, which uh, was about to be produced, and I pulled the plug on it because I didn't think I'd... It was meant to happen just before we did the review that we're... we're uh, we would have just finished doing the tour of, of this next review, and I didn't feel, and, and a lot of venues had signed up to it and a lot of them were touring venues and I just didn't feel like, I, to be honest, I felt I owed to my wife the time yeah. to spend with her and do, not just to continue working flat out, but mm. to take some time out. And, and so I, I pulled the plug on that one. And um, the producer, it was Christine Dunstan, who's done a, a lot of work around the traps too. And we're both the same age where we both would have been 75 by the time we got to that. And we said, okay, we can, we can take a breather for a while. It was a play about an old guy whose um, house is about to be, or developers want to knock his house down to build a block of flats. They've already built one next door and they're going to build one on the other side, but they want his as well. Um, and he's, digging his toes in and saying, oh, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'm staying home. <laughs> so, uh, and that was an old character that I've done before, an old codger character that I love doing. But, yeah. So, a break, I think I'm going to take. Yeah. Well, the end of that. Fair enough, yeah. Well, yeah, uh, this has been so much fun. And, again, like, thank you so much for doing this. And oh, Thank you for asking me, and thank you for asking really good questions. Thank, thank you. <laughs>
yeah. I try my best to uh to formulate one, but I've just been uh, sitting here for the ride and I've enjoyed your journey as well. So I want to thank you as well, Drew. Thank you. Harmon's only been here six years, so he's most familiar <laughs> with all the sort of Australianness as, as I am. So, but I, well, I love that you asked about the set because it is such an important sets and costumes and the image is so important. Even the image that you put on your poster is very important, and the, the photo that you do. And we're thinking of trying to do a photo shoot for the for this next one. We're having a meeting next week and talking about maybe having because it's called Pride in. Pride and Prejudice, we might do a penguin book cover as, as a poster. Uh, but yeah, those images are very important. They, and, and the image you bring on stage as a character, mm. established having the right wig, the right costume, it says so much. Image is very, very important. Mm. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you so much. Um, yeah. End of episode, I think, yeah. yeah.